Welcome to the Student Ministry Podcast. This is episode 75 of the Student Ministry Podcast. My name is Steve Cullum, and I'm so excited for you to be here today. Today, I'm going to be talking with Dr. Josh Packard. Josh is the executive director of Springtide Research Institute. Springtide has a desire to listen and attend to the lives of young people that are ages 13 to 25. So a lot of the teenagers and young people that we work with on a regular basis, they do a lot of research that really benefits us. And they've recently released the State of Religion and Young People for 2021, and they've titled it Navigating Uncertainty. And this is a compilation of all their research that they have taken with thousands of uh, teenagers, uh, young people, 13 through 25, across the country, and just really compiled this into uh, a book. And you can get that as a physical copy or a digital copy. The digital copy is free. You can find that link in our show notes. And if you'd like to purchase the physical copy, you can do so. Also, link in our show notes. But if you want a chance at winning a free copy of the physical version, all you need to do is go to the link in our show notes or just head over to bit.ly slash springtidebook. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash springtidebook. And you'll get a chance to win that physical copy. We're going to be drawing the winner at the end of January 2022. So you got a little time if you're listening to this right as it comes out. Now, there's a lot of great stuff in that book, a lot about navigating uncertainty of young people today. You and I know that that's just the world they live in. And it's going to be really important for us to unpack all the stuff that Josh and his team uh, found out through all their research. But before we do that, I want to just quickly thank you so much for being here here for listening to the podcast. If you haven't done so yet, hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app or service you listen to it. That way you get every episode whenever it drops. Also, be sure to share this. And if you're allowed to leave a a review on whatever podcast app or service you use, please do that. That would be a huge benefit to us. And before we move on, we do need to thank the sponsors of this episode of the Student Ministry Podcast. Our first sponsor is G-Shades. It's a youth ministry curriculum and teaching strategy focused on helping students see every life situation through the lens of the gospel. There's several options to fit everyone with three plans to choose from. This curriculum gives you the resources that you need to do what you do better. Do you need message outlines, a discussion guide, and a game? That's just $16 a month. If you're looking for a higher production value, including bumper videos, Instagram devotionals, and parent guides, that's $25 a month. And you want an affordable youth ministry video curriculum that can help you increase your online reach during this pandemic? G-Shades has you covered for $36 a month. You will not find a better youth ministry video curriculum at that price point anywhere. G-Shades really sets itself apart by helping students see the gospel applies to every life situation that is out there. And if you want to find out more about Mike Haynes, the founder of G-Shades, you can check out episodes 32 and 55 of the Student Ministry Podcast. So go ahead and head over to gshades.org to download season three of G-Shades Youth Ministry Curriculum. And be sure to use the promo code TSMPOD for the Student Ministry Podcast at checkout to get an extra 10% off. G-S-H-A-D-E-S dot O-R-G and use the promo code T-S-M-P-O-D, G-Shades, seeing life through the lens of the gospel. Also sponsoring this episode is Men Hub Youth, which was actually developed by a fellow student pastor to help people like you and me. 
MinHub Youth helps you store and track student, staff, and parent info, as well as your attendance for all of your events. There are a lot of great features, but today I want to talk to you about event notes. After an event is over, it's a great time to collect info about the event. Ministry moments allow you to log what happened with students, but event notes are a great place to collect the feedback about the event itself. Then, as you plan for your future events, you can look back at previous notes to see what worked out and what you might want to improve on for the next event. On its own, the app is only $5 on iOS and Android, and you can use it forever on that one device without ever having to pay again. But if you want to synchronize your database across multiple devices or with your leaders, you can sign up for the MinHub Sync service and support the Student Ministry Podcast by visiting minhubsync.com slash S-M-P. That's M-I-N-H-U-B-S-Y-N-C.com slash SMP for Student Ministry Podcast. You can find the links for both G-Shades and MinHub in the podcast show notes. Thanks so much to G-Shades and MinHub for sponsoring this episode of the Student Ministry Podcast. All right, now it's time to get into this very important conversation with Dr. Josh Packard. Well, hey, Josh, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really glad to be here. So uh, before we get into any of the the research and reports that you guys have been uh, putting out, which is so awesome, uh, I'd love to just get to know you a little bit more. So if you could just share a little of your story and and how you got to the point where you are today. Sure, happy to do that. I think in, in some ways it's really important. I tell you know it's 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 good to know a little who you're talking to, so you can know what parts to pay attention to and which parts to disregard and you know, put away. Uh, I, I come at this role as the executive director of Springtide um, from a from a career out of the uh, out of higher ed. So I, I have a PhD in sociology from Vanderbilt, and then spent about 15 years as a professor. Uh, all through that time. It was was really as much as I really admire what my colleagues do, who you know publish things, really smart things for each other to read. I was always really interested in taking that stuff and translating it and getting it outside of the academy for my students, uh, for practitioners, you know, for anybody who could listen. And my specialty all along was organizations and religion. The um, so I wrote a book some years ago called Church Refugees and uh, started really thinking about you know what are some of the ways that we could. Um, help religious institutions adapt to meet these the changing needs of, of, of these new generations. And uh, that led to a series of conversations that ultimately um, I was invited to help dream and think about what Springtide would be and then was asked to serve as the uh, first executive director. So I left, I left my role as a professor uh, in May of this year and came on to Springtide full time. Springtide's now been around for a couple of years. Uh, started, we had the, the great timing to launch our first research study called Belonging in March of 2020. Right. When what a wonderful time struggling to, start. to belong and, and connect. Well, yeah. yeah. But, uh, I mean, it was like weeks. And we were trying to launch a whole new research firm uh, to the public. <laughs> and, you know, the only thing anybody's talking about is the pandemic, but that's fine. Right. It's uh it's been a really great couple of years and and uh, to get us started here. And the big thing that we do, and I, you know, a lot of what I think we're probably going to talk about today is uh, every fall we put out the state of religion and young people. And that's a, it's a, it's a summation of about 10,000 nationally representative surveys that we do with young people and a, you know, a bunch of interviews and other qualitative data to really help us understand how young people are thinking about faith and religion and spirituality, how they're 
you know, accessing the transcendent or the divine, you know, how it intersects with their daily lives. And now these are important questions because, you know, as much as individual institutions might understand their own uh, communities, we've got like 40, 41, 42% of young people claiming no religious affiliation whatsoever. So, you know, there's a whole lot of young people out there that are just not picked up by those institutions. So that's uh, a big part of what Springtide, you know, lives to do. Cool. Cool. And I'm assuming uh, you guys are finding a lot of like, has COVID drastically affected the, those those research, the stuff you're finding right now, or are you still trying to figure out how it's affecting it? Well, certainly, I mean, COVID is the defining feature of, you know, this generation's life. It'll, it will all, you know, forever be the thing that marks Gen Z. Uh, it, but it's had a, you know, the, in terms of impacts, it's sort of a mixed bag. So, uh especially when it comes to religion, about a quarter of young people say that they're more religious than they were before the pandemic, about a quarter say they're less and about half say it's the same. So, you know, pretty even distribution there. Um, and, you know, more than anything, I think what we've seen is a real acceleration of trends that were already in place uh, long before COVID. So it's not so much that 2021 and 2022 are going to look, you know, differently than, um, than we could have ever imagined. It's that you know, the 2021 looks sort of more like what I think most people would have thought that 2025 would have looked like or 2026, you know, it's just that institutional distrust and disconnection and the loneliness and isolation trends. I mean, all of those picked up a whole lot of steam over the last 18 months or so. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, one of the the classes that I, I wasn't sure about that I took in, uh, in college was, was sociology. And uh, it was kind of, you know, of course I had to take it and I was like, I don't really know if I'm going to enjoy this at all. But the next thing I knew I was loving every minute, minute of it. And, uh, that's kind of like the, the thoughts that's been in my head, this entire pandemic is man, how is, what's the sociological impacts that we're going to see both within the church and yeah. our community as a whole, like what's going to stick, what's going to change. And so it is fascinating. Um, and it's awesome to, to see that you guys are, are digging into that, um, uh, specifically with young people and, and seeing the impacts on that and sharing that, that with us. We're very grateful for that. Yeah, we're happy to do it. I tell people all the time, you know, I said sociology, if you remember, is that class you took in college that you really liked, but you couldn't figure out how to make a career out of it. So you went and majored in something more practical. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, we find that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so this year's uh, report specifically focuses on uncertainty uncertainty about the future, which, which you guys say, like, that's really the cause of a lot of anxiety, um, which is really so much in our world today. Is there anything that else that people should know about this report just in general, before we start digging into the specifics or any of the findings, any, anything in general? Well, just to remind people, I mean, this is a, again, this is a, a study that we, uh, this is a summation of everything that we've learned this year and a part of something that we put out every fall. So last year was all about the, the right relational frameworks to engage young people. And this is about uncertainty because uncertainty not only is at the hallmark of youth generally going back, you know, decades or more, um, but you're right. Like that has been the thing that we keep hearing over and over as we talk to young people in the last year. You know, how would you describe this year? You know, what's what's going on in your life right now? Um, well, uncertainty became, you know, not only is it a general thing about being young, but it's very specific to this moment as well. Yeah, yeah. So there's so much in this report. Um, I would encourage people to, lot, yeah. to, to actually go grab a free digital copy or if you can, you want to buy the, the book version as well. Um, we'll have all those links in the show notes. Um, but there's just a few things that I wanted to, to talk about today, and then we can kind of dig into anything else that you think would be uh, beneficial to our to our listeners. Um, but 
there's a, there's a few things that stood out to me. Um, and one of them was that uh, you guys found that young and young people, like in all their uncertainty, that they're not turning to religion necessarily, but they are still being religious. So like not religion in a traditional sense. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, well, so they're not turning to religious institutions. And I think that's a really important distinction because they are often turning to, you know, religious thoughts, religious ideas, religious questions to help them make sense of uncertainty. Um, it, but they're, but they're, so, you know, they're, they're still asking the same kinds of timeless questions that young people have always asked and have always cared about. Uh, you know, what should I do with my life? How do I make sense of what's going on right now in this moment? <laughs> um, you know, what, uh, how should I live? How should I treat other people? It's that what has happened, you know, in, in the United States over the last 50 years is that we've largely conflated religious institutions with those questions to say, oh, well, the place where you ask and answer those questions is inside of religious institutions. It's at a church on a Sunday morning or at a campus ministry event or, or at a synagogue on a Friday night or something. I mean, what young people are doing largely now is, you know, sort of decoupling those things that they're, that those conversations of course can happen in those institutional spaces, but no longer are those institutional spaces, the sort of uh, sole domain where those conversations are playing out, which I think is really important. So, you know, I mean, when we see those declining attendance numbers, it means that it, we shouldn't take those as indicators uh, that young people don't care about these questions or that they're not interested in this conversation. And it's the same for affiliation. Just because we have fewer young people checking the box, it says I'm Christian Catholic or Christian Protestant or Muslim or whatever, it doesn't mean that they're not interested in what are essentially religious questions, um, even if they're not being funneled through those institutional means as much anymore. That's really, that's really good. Cause I look, I was actually just talking to another youth pastor yesterday and, and I was telling him how I'm, I'm actually in the process of wrestling with that, that, that I feel like a lot of teenagers are still interested in that, like you said, but, but it doesn't mean our, our church doors are just flying open every Sunday with them flooding right. into a church, but they are seeking those answers. There's, there's, they're still interested in it. We just can't, the traditional ways of us telling them about it are maybe long, long, you know, behind us. We have to think about it in a different way to engage them. So that's, that's it might really even be that that whole model is flipped that it used to be like, let's get them indoors so we can have a conversation. And, and now I think we, you could almost argue that it's completely the opposite, which mm. is let's have that conversation. And then, you know, maybe at the end of it, they'll walk through the door, but mm. it, it's, it's not, that it is not going to be the first move for most young people. Yeah. Yeah. And I've also, I thought about like, I know Andy Stanley have had the, like the, the house model and for a lot of times like into a church like that Sunday morning worship experience has been the front door well it's not necessarily the front door anymore it might be the the coffee shop conversation or it might be the you know around a dinner table or whatever it might be the first entry into a church kind of a religious kind of uh, conversation way before they even give you know a church or a synagogue or whatever a chance right yeah absolutely so so kind of along with that, you guys also found that this there's this unbundling, like you talked about, about with faith, with belief and identity and community and practices. Could you please explain that? You guys go into into depth in, in the research and everything, too. But what where does that, I guess, come together? How how are they actually unbundling their faith with these like key elements of life? 
Yeah, so this is uh, sort of like right into the meat of the of the study. You know, the the ramification. Obviously, if you if you spend a whole you know generation heightened by a pandemic of of decoupling those conversations from these traditional institutions, well, you know there there's important ramifications for that. And um, what we wanted to do was really to understand then, um, you know, what does that mean for young people? What you know, if they're if they're still interested in these questions, if they're still having these conversations, but they're not doing it in religious institutions or with religious guides, what does that ultimately look like? And and what we ended up, you know, what we end up calling it is faith unbundled. And there there are some, you know, hallmarks to that: it, it curiosity, flexibility, connection, wholeness. Um, are these four sort of elements that make up faith unbundled, but it, it really means like on the flexibility front, for example, like what does it mean to unbundle um, like practice? Well, you know, like ritual from a faith, from a faith, but what means that like, they're just not going to take this whole bound set of rituals that, that they're going to be flexible about them and how they employ them and ultimately what they do with it. Um, you know, what is it you, they're trading in, you know, is it, when you unbundle faith from community, it looks like connection. So they're still very much in, interested, in fact, only interested in in having these conversations and experiences um, with those around them. But the idea of embedding themselves into a community that they would sort of submit to and, you know, sort of let, you know, have guidance over their life, like that's not necessarily a thing that they're going to sign up for. They're much more interested in being connected to a lot of different expressions so they can, understand the process and on and on. Yeah. And uh, the, you know, in, in some ways, like, you know, this is really, I think, terrifying because you get young people saying like, oh, we're picking up pieces of different religious systems, you know, some of which, I, you know, even the scholar in me is like, well, those are intact religious traditions that go back thousands of years. You should probably be, <laughs> you know, experiencing or addressing them as a whole system, right? Yeah, <laughs> um, You know, you shouldn't be like picking commandments like you should understand where they all came from and why and you know the historical yeah. context around that yeah. there but then you know the then the like the other part of me kicks in which is to remember that you know our research comes from 13 to 25 year olds and if if uncertainty is one of the hallmarks of youth then certainly change and exploration are other hallmarks and i think what we've got here is not much a static picture for what young people's faith lives are as much as what what is what, with faith unbundled what we've got is a process for how young people are experiencing and exploring faith. And, and that is a much different kind of thing. And, and that sort of tells us like, okay, just because they are this at 14, that is probably not the faith that they're going to have at 24, 34. I mean, my faith at 43 is not the faith that I had at 13. Um, I doubt many people are. And so when I remember that, I start to ease up a little bit and, you know, I relax. I'm like, okay, these are just the pillars around which we should be having these conversations with young people about, you know, we should let it be, we should let them be curious. We should, you know, be flexible where we can be flexible. We should foster connections and, and make sure that they can show up with all of their identities and be whole in these conversations, not feel like they have to hide parts of who they are just to engage in a, you know, in a conversation or exploration about, you know, your faith or background or any system. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that makes so much sense. And I think even on a, like a simple uh, idea, like we see that a lot with the students that we would just call, like they have a, a serious case of FOMO. They, they don't mm -hmm. want to commit because there might be something else that comes along. And so like, I'm going to take a little bit of this and a little bit of that because like, I want yeah. experience at all. And, and in this world of information right at our fingertips, like they can experience 
pretty much as much as they want to and, and research sure. as much as they want to. Yeah. And so it definitely makes sense that would come from that as, as well. Um, and one other thing that I, that I wanted to get into, which really kind of, <laughs> I think, uh, from a youth faster standpoint, it, it was really enlightening and kind of upsetting, I guess, as us as a whole. Um, it seems like you guys found that uh, this generation really needs to, for us to support them and rather than fix and solve their uncertainty. However, your data also said that there was evidence that religious leaders have not been the ones reaching out to support the young people and they don't feel necessarily comfortable reaching out to religious leaders. So it's vice versa, like both sides, rather they're going to friends and family instead. So can you further explain that and like what maybe some implications that that has for us as youth workers? Yeah, for sure. I mean, so the data that you're referring to specifically, you know, about half the young people say that they you know, wouldn't even know how to access a religious community, even if they wanted to. Um, and so, you know, when they when they are feeling uncertain or having stressful moments or events and traumatic events in their lives, sixteen uh, percent of them say that they turn to a religious community. That's the same percentage that say that they turn to nobody. Um, you know, it's just not that is not a great place to be. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think it's not a great place to be for young people. I mean, mm. you know, religious leaders, uh, trusted religious leaders, have a lot of really important things to offer for young people. And I think young people sense that and know it. Um, that you know that they just but in some ways they, they just don't know they, they don't have a skill set um they you know some sometimes things are common language even to you and me are just not common language for a generation that is increasingly being raised you know outside of religious structures and institutions and so uh you know asking somebody to come you know <laughs> i think of a term that uh, was so like commonplace in my youth the word narthex which is just not i can't imagine any 16 year old knows what a narthex is right. anymore, which is very right. much like a part of my parlance when I was growing up, um, or even a sanctuary. Uh, last time I taught the sociology of religion, we went on field trips a couple of years ago now. Uh, it was like three fourths of my class that had never been, you know, we go, we went, on, we went to a, uh, um, a Catholic church, a Protestant church and a synagogue. It, I know that anybody's been in three of them. Um, but this time it was like three fourths of the class that hadn't been in any house of worship. And, uh, you know, that means that there's just a whole kind of not just literal vocabulary, but there's a physical vocabulary that they don't they don't know how to move through the space. It's all intimidating. I mean, imagine showing up to someplace that you just completely fundamentally don't understand. You're not likely to do it. Um, on the other side of that, though, you know, through the whole pandemic, what we saw is about, uh, you know, we asked young people at the end of the pen, you know, one year into the pandemic, who, if anybody outside of your home has reached out to you to check on you? And only 10% of them said that a religious leader, a faith leader had reached out to them during the last year. And it, those are, you know, so there's a pretty big disconnect there. It's a, it's not one that's built on personal failure. We haven't, I've never met a youth director in my entire life who wasn't trying hard. Um, I've never met a youth director who didn't care enough uh, or a pastor or a campus minister or a rabbi or what. I mean, all the religious leaders I meet are by and large, like they're trying really hard to do the work. I think what that speaks to is you know, how our systems are arranged and how mismatched they are for this current moment. So mm. why only, you know, why did only 10% of young people have a religious or faith leader reach out to them? Well, we don't have systems in place to do relationships at scale very well. You know, we have systems in place largely to do program-driven youth ministry at scale really well. 
But those systems rely on the assumption of high institutional trust, you know, that families will bring their kids to this physical place. And when that either doesn't exist, which is the world that we live in, or isn't accessible like a pandemic, well, we find that we just aren't very good at knowing what else to do yet. And that's not, look, that's not because people aren't smart. It's just because they haven't, you know, program-driven youth ministry has like 50 or more years of innovation um, and entrepreneurship and training and building and professionalization behind it. We really just need to bring that same dedication and innovation to, to relationships that we've been bringing to programs. So I think that number is, you know, really just a sort of reflective of the systems that we live and work in right now. Um, but it is a call to action. I mean, it really is that like, that is the future. The, this need for relationships over programs is not going away for this generation anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for, and I, I was just talking to a youth pastor the other today, it's very much in a similar place. It's like, I, I feel like what this pandemic has actually raised is some things that we maybe knew all along, but that it does need a switch from being program, you know, heavy to, to relationship focused and, and making that change after 50 or so years in this, this tradition that we've just built upon and built upon. We know how to do that. Um, it does, it requires us to maybe think outside the box and like, okay, like maybe this isn't the way it should be done. Um, and that's tough that's, sometimes. It's really hard. It's yeah. so hard, I think, because not only is it what you know how to do um, and you're good at executing it, it takes a recognition that, you know, it, the most innovative and forward thinking people are going to say, oh, this isn't completely broken yet. And yet it's time for a change. Um, and so it's going to require leaving things because like right now, those program models are still sort of hanging on. Um, you know, it's not like you do stuff and have nobody show up. You, still some people are showing up. And so... Right. Uh, but that's what it's going to have to be because I don't, I mean, just as much as I've never met a youth director who wasn't trying hard enough, I also have met very, very few youth ministries that are like swimming or awash in resources, you know? So like pivoting towards relationships is going to mean giving up something else. Nobody, you just don't have the time to do both or the resources yep. to do both. Um, yeah. And that's, uh, I reckon, I, you know, I, I, I know that's what the data say. And so I can be very convicted in saying like, this is what the data are showing. And also I recognize how difficult it will be to execute. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. But that's, that's definitely something to, to think about and be praying about as, as well. Um, yeah. So, so what other insights that from, from the research um, things that we didn't talk about already uh, what, what can other youth pastors that are listening, what are some ways that they can gain from, from what you guys have found out so far, any other just general things that kind of popped mm -hmm. out to you that, that we need to be paying attention to? Well, there's, there's a couple of things. One is to remember, you know, that this is the most diverse generation that's ever existed in the history of the world, anywhere, period. <laughs> you know, like, um, and that can be a, a strange thing to really understand in terms of the implications, because, uh, you know, functionally in our day-to-day -day lives and the physical worlds that we inhabit in this country, they're still pretty segregated, uh, especially along like, you know, race and class lines. So, you know, our, our schools and the neighborhoods that we live in, the places that we worship, like those tend to be still be pretty homogenous uh, along race and class. But their online lives are not, not homogenous at all. Um, they're, they're, uh, they're certainly not these egalitarian, you know, Edens or anything. I don't mean to paint that picture. They're far more diverse than what most of us who are charged with connecting with young people grew up with in any way. I mean, we just, you know, there's, there's no model for that. Um, 
And what that means is that they not only experience diversity on a, in a far more uh, regular way than we ever would have, but that it like diversity rises to the top for them, diversity, equity, and inclusion. I mean, these are not the same things and young people certainly understand that are not satisfied with, with diversity alone. Uh, I'm just sort of using that as a catch-all phrase right now, but the um, that it rises as a paramount value. So when we talk about wholeness that I mentioned earlier as part of this faith unbundled, I mean, that becomes one of these like really key litmus tests. Like they'll, if, if they can't show up and be whole and their friends can't show up and feel whole in these spaces, they might come for a little while, you know, to the conversation just, just long enough to understand who you are and what you're about, but they won't stay. They, they will not stay. And so, you know, that doesn't mean that you have to accommodate every single thing that they ever want to be because young people, of course, can't, but you do have to accommodate that exploration. Um, you have to, you have to, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to engage them over a long haul, you, you're going to have to show that you are committed to being uncomfortable in spaces with them, um, partially as they explore, but also as they challenge you, um, around issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so these are, uh, you know, when they're thinking about religion and, and religious questions, it starts from this notion of equality. And um, if, we, if we can't engage on those terms, then I would say you're probably, you know, behind the eight ball to start. Mm. So yeah. that, I mean, that, that rise, I mean, if you, there, that's the first of things I would say are really important takeaways from just understanding Gen Z in general. Cool. Yeah, that's, that's so, so good. Yeah. What else, what else was there? Yeah, the second one, um, is that the you know they are uh, really really interested in in thinking about their religious questions, um, their faith questions, spiritual questions as part of a larger conversation. That that it is they are not trying to find um, sort of static answers at this moment. That, that you know, like as you referred to earlier, like a problem to be fixed. They don't think about they don't think about their faith as a problem to be fixed. Uh, I, I know a lot of religious leaders will see that 41 or so percent of young people who are unaffiliated as a problem to be solved. Yeah. They do not experience it that way, right? They see it as um, a thing to be explored. And so we should just, just like they, just like they think about everything else in their lives, by the way. I mean, it's, this should come as no surprise. We understand that like, you know, their, their artistic selves are things to be explored. Their, um, you know, their relational selves, you know, with their friends and with, you know, people that they are romantically involved with, like these are things to be explored in their faith lives too. Um, the, the, that changes, I think, the dynamic for what we do is for what, you know, religious leaders do. It, instead of trying to, you know, convince young people to come, you know, to make a, a claim one way or the other to say like, yes, this is the, this is the faith that I belong to and forevermore and forevermore. Um, I think it's more realistic to think about, can we engage them in a conversation that is ongoing and unfolding over the course of a decade? Mm. Uh, it's a much different stance. And you can still do the first part. Like you can still ask them to get confirmed and get baptized and make a, a statement of faith and all these things. You're fooling yourself. I think if, if that happens and then you, you know, sort of like, you, you, you know, sort of like, okay, dust yeah. off your hands. Like you can go to bed tonight. Cause we know that we got one more, Yeah, you know, check the box. Um, you might go to sleep at night thinking that, you know, you won something, but the, but what this generation keeps telling us in so many ways is like, Oh yeah, I, I didn't not feel that way, but I also know that I might not feel that way in a year or two or three. So mm -hmm. that, that work is not finished in those moments where, 
you contrast that with my own experience growing up in a, in a Lutheran church, loved it, had a great experience there, but it very much felt like, okay, you're through confirmation, check that box, you know, stand up in front of the congregation, make your proclamation of faith and we are good to go. <laughs> yeah. 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 This is to me, it seems, I guess, as, as I'm processing that sometime, some too, I think with the, with the idea of diversity, but also what you're just saying to like, would it be safe to say like one takeaway from that would be rather than, than creating a place where we're just telling them how to live and how to believe and how to, you know, have faith and everything to be creating safe places where they can feel comfortable exploring that together with people that can support them. Would that be mm-hmm. a, a good takeaway from that? Yeah. And I really, I've, I've, I've been uh, exposed to some language over the last couple of years that I think it really is useful here, which is safe people as opposed to safe places. I mean, mm. they're just not going to see because of, you know, the, look, the history of the church in this country has not been uniform by any stretch. And often, you know, institutions in it have been really poorly towards entire groups of people. And that is a history that is well known to a lot of young people in the country. And so the idea of any church seeming uh, like it's a safe space, no matter who's running it or what it's saying at that moment, is just really unlikely. Mm. But we can do that other work, that relational work of creating safe people to do exactly the thing that you just said, which is so critical for them, which is like, this is a safe relationship and a safe person with which to engage in these conversations and, and to, uh, be, you know, to ask whatever questions you, you know, need to be asked and to get whatever insights that might be able to, you know, be given. That's cool. That's, that's really good. I'm going to have to, I'm going to think about that a little bit because I think, I think it's, it's spot on because yeah, how can we create people and then even, yeah, send them out to, to go to, to go to people and build those relationships rather than sure. just, you know, well, I create a safe place in my, at my youth ministry. Like, why are kids it's coming? Safe, so it's yeah, safe. safe. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's really exactly. good. So, uh, you've shared so much good stuff, <laughs> great wisdom, uh, insights and everything already. Um, are there any other tips or encouragements that you would like to share as we wrap up today with, with our audience of youth pastors that are listening? I would say that they, you know, not to just don't discount how much young people are um, interested in these, in these questions. As I say it, they're like, they're on your team, you know, like 75% of young people describe themselves as religious or spiritual. That's the overwhelming, you know, majority of them. Uh, Even though I know it can often feel in our social media feeds, like, you know, we are a completely secularized nation that doesn't believe in anything anymore. It's just not the case. That's not, that doesn't mean that it won't be the case if we don't do something about it. I mean, that's certainly, there are a lot of different versions of the future that could play out, and that's one of them. But right now, anyway, young people are telling us that they are interested in these questions and are very interested in what you have to say about it. So I would just encourage, you know, uh, religious leaders to, to engage, to find whatever ways that you can to authentically represent who you are and to demonstrate how much you care Um in, in through those relationships with young people and in their lives, I think you'll find, uh, you know, a, a good reception um, from them in that regard. Cool. Well, thank you so much. And uh, Josh, I know that our listeners are going to want to connect with you and Springtide um, more. They're going to want to read more, um, probably want to ask maybe some follow-up questions of their own. What sure. are the best places for people to find uh, you all online? Oh yeah, you bet. Um, so we're at springtideresearch.org. Uh, you can find all of our stuff there on our website. 
Um, we'll be, and you can find us on social media at We Are Springtide, or I'm on Twitter at Dr. Josh Packard. You can, you can, all my DMs are open, as they say. Uh, so you can feel free to ask me any questions there if you want. But, um, and, and know that coming up next year in 2022, Springtide is going to be helping organizations to understand the role that, uh, the critical role that attending to a young person's faith and spiritual life has to play in, in their mental, their overall mental health. And so mm. we'll be spending all of 2022 thinking about um, and sharing the research and what we've been learning about the, that model. Um, so certainly you can come and get the state of religion, young people from 2021 and, and stay, you know, get on the mailing list, stay up to date with, with how that uh, mental health research unfolds over the coming, over the coming year. Oh, wow. That's so good. I'm, I'm excited because I think that's, uh, that's something we really need to dig into, especially in mental health. Like that's, yeah, absolutely. yeah. I like my long before any of this happened, when I was considering what my master's degree was going to be focused in, I kind of felt like I need to go into counseling and, and kind of mm-hmm. dig into that mental health world a little bit. Little did I know that it was going to become such a big thing years later. Um, and, uh, it's very valuable and there's still so much to learn. Um, so many, so much more we could, could be doing, especially with young people. So cool. For sure. Well, thank you so much, Josh, for being on the podcast and sharing all this important research and insights with us. Um, may God bless all that we, you do for, uh, for us and as religious leaders and, uh, and for young people. Oh, thank you for saying that. Thank you for having me on. And thank you all so much for being here for this episode of the Student Ministry Podcast. If you like what you hear, be sure to leave a positive review on your podcast app or service of choice. And be sure to share this with another youth worker who you think would enjoy and benefit from this episode. Again, if you'd like a free digital copy of The State of Religion and Young People Navigating Uncertainty, you can head to the link in the show notes. But if you'd also like a chance to win a physical copy of that book for free, head to bit.ly slash springtidebook, and that link will also be in our show notes, and uh, also a link that you can purchase the book from Springtide as well. We also want to thank our sponsors once again, G-Shades at G-S-H-A-D-E-S dot O-R-G. Be sure to use the promo code TSMPOD to save 10% off your order. And also Minhub at M-I-N-H-U-B-S-Y-N-C dot com slash S-M-P. Once again, thank you so much for listening and may God bless your ministry.